Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast, where two MFA friends talk writing craft. Absolutely. And on today's episode, what are we discussing, Emily? We're discussing Melissa Febos' advice. Um, (laughs) So Melissa Febos is a nonfiction writer who has a uh, recent craft essay published in Kenyan called A Big Shitty Party, Six Parables About Writing About Other People. Um, It's about, you know, like her philosophies, guidelines about writing about people who she knows in real life in her nonfiction. And Ben and I talk about all six of them and how it translates to our experiences with fiction. Yeah. It's a, it's a really fun episode. We, we do some anecdotes. We, we talk about the ways that these translate, as Emily said, and I, I think it's really good. And I share one of the most, two of the most embarrassing things that have ever happened to me. So mm-hmm. stay tuned for those. That's right. It's Emily's turn this time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Enjoy. Bye. Enjoy. Or tune out and don't hear about it. You don't need to know about also, how embarrassed I still am. Humiliated. <laughs> just turn down the volume during those segments. I have linked to the essay in the episode description, so if you would like to read it before starting, just check there and you can read along if you choose to do so. Thanks, everybody. Bye. How's it going? <laughs> ben, it's so good. It's so good to see your face. Look at you oh. in that tank top. Florida's having such different weather than Colorado. <laughs> How's the weather in Colorado <laughs> right now? You guys freezy? It's spotty, my dude. It's 30. Mm. It's 70. It's it's all kinds of things out here, but it mm. sure isn't tank top weather. At least yeah. not for a cold girl like me. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Well, I, I hope that it resolves to a much more even uh, pace, uh, even weather patterns for you guys. It's at some coming. point soon. Yeah. The day is coming. It's on yeah. the radar. Although I'm not qualified to read the radar. Um, ben, it mm-hmm. is so good to see you. Are you pumped for today's talk? Yes, I am pumped for today's talk. This is a really interesting uh, essay that you had us read today. And it, it's a little different just because it, se- it seems more that we'll be having a discussion of, you know, the uh, kind of nature of writing rather than craft itself, even though that will play in. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's undervalued how much your philosophy about writing and what write, being a writer means to you plays into your craft and if it impacts your craft and what mm-hmm. you actually are willing yeah. to write about. Um, but before we do all that, yeah. how was writing this week, my friend? Uh, non-existent. Not, not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, uh, as, uh, as it's been... Um, I, I did do a little bit. I, I got edits back on a piece that's being published from the oh, editor, congrats. so I did those. Um, but that's that's really all that I've got. So, so yeah. revision counts in my brain. Okay. Um, question for you. How's mm-hmm. that process going? So so for those of any, anyone tuning in just now catching up, um, Ben pitched a piece to a magazine. They accepted the concept. Mm-hmm. Ben wrote them the first draft, and they've now sent him edits. What's that like? Uh, it's actually, uh, very easy. The editor is very easy to work with, the woman that's, uh, helping me out with the piece. Uh, she didn't have a, she didn't have a lot that she wanted to change, so I can't speak too much to that. Like, yeah, it was mostly, you know, a few sentence things here or there and some grammatical stuff. Like, I think she had one or two major set, like, one or two suggestions as far as actual content change, uh, that I agreed with. Uh, right off the bat um but yeah it was it's not too dissimilar from the workshop experience that we've had in, in all honesty mm-hmm. you know i sent this thing off to them she sent me back a google doc got bleh, a google doc with um uh with comments on it 
and cool. I incorporated the comments, and you know, now we're moving forward with it, moving forward from there. So hopefully, uh, it continues to be a smooth process. Unintimidating, friendly lady. Yeah, yeah, very I nice, love it. very nice woman. Yeah. Okay, wait. Question for you. So like. I think a thing that probably happens a lot is people will, like, pitch an idea, and then when they actually, like, deliver their first draft, it's probably, like, veered pretty far from the idea. If mm-hmm. I recall your pitch, I believe the draft of yours that I got to read was very similar, like, very true to the original concept. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the conceptual edit that she suggested? Uh, the uh, only, like, conceptual things that were basically, like, kind of changing the emotional tenor of two mm-hmm. segments that I had... Um, it, it wasn't really so, maybe conceptual wasn't the right word, but they were just the largest edits kind of thing. Um, but they, they were just, you know, okay, you, you have this one line in there. It's kind of suggesting this emotional state. I think you should shift it to actually express a different emotional state because that seems to be more in line with the rest of the piece itself. Mm. Um, yeah. And it was, you know, and then there was another thing that she said, like, you can keep this line if you want to keep it, but I would suggest changing it because some people in the audience might, uh, take a slight umbrage at at the line itself. So I, I made those shifts. Yeah. We love, uh, Hey, you could choose to be slightly offensive if you want to, but so, you know, this will be perceived as offensive. That is a very useful edit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that positioning of like, no, you can't, like, it's not. And unforgettable, you can write this, but mm-hmm. I just want to make sure you're aware you are making a choice. Like, yeah, that's so a that's a very good editor. Yeah, she basically just said, like, I could see our readers being upset, by, some of our readers being upset by this. So change it if you want to change it, but don't if you don't. Like, yeah. Can I ask out of curiosity what it was? Um, it was the line in there where I, I mentioned um, something about just basic... I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it. Um... I say something along the lines of we're we're watching someone eat on television and she has like a bunch of food and we're like how she's so thin there's no way she can eat all that she suggested changing the fragment about being thin to something about like more just kind of balking at the amount of food and maybe making it more about just like the kind of constructed uh, feeling of it like which was a smart yeah, not, edit I think yeah I think so because I st- still gets the like balking at the quantity thing without yeah. you know making people who might be self-conscious about how people perceive their weight and how much they eat. Yeah. Because that's such a, for some people, a very sticky topic. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, exactly. It, it changes Smart it from edit. the... Yeah, exactly. Like, so, yeah, it just, totally... it keeps keeps the core, keeps keeps what's interesting yeah. about it, but removes the part, like, thin pe- not not that thin lady isn't going to eat all that, but, like, yeah. that person, that's more than one serving. <laughs> you no know? human being is going to eat all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Clever. Yeah. Clever. Yeah. Exactly. So it was, it, it was a good process. I, I, I'm, I don't know if she's going to give me more edits or if just the version I sent back to her is what's going to end up in the magazine. Um, because I, I don't know how many pieces she's in charge of. I don't know if it, she's on a team of editors or not. I assume that there's more than just her. Um, hmm. But yeah, especially because like there had been some issues on the back end kind of thing. She'd it took her a while to get to my piece because some personal things had happened in her life sort of thing. Totally. Like, yeah. So I'm not sure what their speed process is or if she has other people helping her or not, but yeah. Totally. Well, I mean, if, if she was down other than that one, like, Hey, conceptual line, um, yeah. if she's mostly down to like the grammar edit, you're probably towards the end. That's what I thought too. Like, yeah. yeah. If most of it was just like, here's where your commas are bad. And I was like, yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> you and your fucking commas. <laughs> they're awful. They're, they're some of the worst. I... <laughs> no, some of them are good. Some of mm-hmm. them are good. Some, some of them are. shouldn't be there. 
They mm-hmm. have no business being where they are, Ben, some of mm-hmm. the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the, a penchant for run-ons. Um, it's yeah. true. It's yeah. What, what, what's your one grammatical thing? I don't know if we've talked about this on here, but what's the one grammatical thing that never that always seems to escape you in your own writing? For me, it is oh. run-on sentences. Like, hmm. I will do intentional like run-on sentences in dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like, that's mm-hmm. how people talk. Mm-hmm. Um, people talk grammatically inaccurately we talk with comma splices we talk with run-on sentences all the time yeah but if i'm doing something really voicey Mm -hmm. i will just like stare at the sentence like well the narrator would say it this way but this is fucking wrong grammatically (laughs) like (laughs) i have a crisis anytime i have a voicey narrator with imperfect grammar i'm like Mm. i want you to know behind the scenes i have stared at those like i'll have like one grammatically inaccurate (laughs) sentence every few pages and i'll Mm -hmm. I'm aware of it. I can point you to it, like, <laughs> off the top of my goddamn head, then. You, you do have naturally, like, good grammar, your, your, or, as I should say, well grammar. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I'm a control freak. And also, um, because I really wanted to impress this one college professor, and she mm. pointed out that I had a comma splice, and I had never heard of what a comma splice was before, mm. even though I did, like, honors high school and everything. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I've never lived down the shame, so I I vowed to never again make that error. Jeez. Uh, After having a single comma splice, uh, I can't imagine that. Our students never cared if we pointed out their comma splices. Yeah. Like I said, control freak. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying you deserve better from you in that scenario. You you deserve to let go. (laughs) Uh, But but I do have good-ass grammar. Yes. I do have good-ass grammar. Um, writing for me this week was, yes, I did it once or twice. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. so that's something. And I think I need to focus more on refilling the creative well. Um, mm. so I think I have some ideas that I, places just, I'm, I, I'm often, and when I'm in an ideas based, I'm often thinking first and like, I need to choose a location and that will help me like limit my concept, um, mm-hmm. and actually put words on a blank page. Um, yeah. yep. So I think I need to just, uh, do that do that <laughs> i mean the the path towards the concept is a an often forking and uh unkind oh, path yeah tis meandering right <laughs> <laughs> it is filled with traps and uh ponji pits and many other uh issues uh related to uh just starting something and then being halfway down the pages i don't i shouldn't have I don't want. To, I don't like this room. I want to leave this room real mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I tried to get back on. Um, dear any new listeners, Ben and I have periodically flirted with a um, structure, uh, a fifteen minutes a day goal. So fifteen minutes every day. If you write for at least fifteen minutes, you're a writer that day. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you know, you you put down some garbo for 15 minutes and then walk away. You can spare that much time. It's not a huge commitment. And, um, you know, if you get on a roll, you get on a roll and keep going and do more than 15 if you want. But if you only do 15, you still accomplished it. Um, Ben and I flirted with this for some time. We had a good few weeks on it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And now... I find it difficult again, so I think... Yeah, we, like, both finished things. Like, both of us finished something in that time, which was surprising. Um, Yeah, Yeah, that was big. That was big. So I think the starting things may have a different... may need a different source of inspiration. So I will 
brainstorm on this, and in a future episode, we will report back on what structure helped us with the starting things phase. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out. But let's talk today mm-hmm. about a revising things phase, which is, mm. oh shit, I put someone from my real life <laughs> in my story, what do I do about it? So okay. today for the Today for the pod, um, we're doing a craft essay from the nonfiction writer Melissa Phoebos. Um, Melissa Phoebos is a faculty at the University of Iowa's MFA program, so that is top-tier shit right there, folks! Mm-hmm. Um, and I just finished her first memoir, which was Whip Smart, came out in 2011, and although it was her first memoir, it just did really well. It was about her life as a A-plus college student and also her double life as an A-plus college student and a dominatrix, a professional dominatrix in New York City. Um, juicy, juicy topic. Delivered deliciously. Um, rightfully blew up, you know, interviewed on NPR and the like. Um, so I've just recently finished her first memoir, so I'm very invested in Melissa Phoebos this day. She's also got some more recent books out, including Long Pause Here, um, Girlhood, and which I have not finished, but I did start. And um, she's also uh, edited Body Work, which is a, a new uh, essay collection. So if you are looking for a wonderful writer, Melissa Phoebos is one. And today we're going to discuss her craft essay that she published a month or two ago in the Kenyan Review. So the Kenyan Review is a um, really amazing top tier literary magazine. And this craft essay is titled A Big Shitty Party. Six Parables of Writing About Other People. Ben, mm-hmm. first reactions before we get into it. Um, very, uh, really well-constructed essay. Uh, I mm-hmm. think does a great job. Um, it, it's definitely something where I was just kind of like sitting there and observing for a fair amount because I don't write a lot of nonfiction. I, I've never had, I've never written about like people I know in a way that wasn't you know, inherently flattering already. Like, that that hmm. wasn't, you know, talking... Of, like, the only nonfiction piece I've ever done is the one that we were just discussing. And the real people... The re- only other real person besides myself in it is my wife. And the kind of thesis about the essay is about me loving her in a big way. So, like, yeah, that that's, you, you know... You really do. <laughs> yeah, like, that's the the case uh, uh, of the only time I've ever done this also. So this was very much just like, oh, if I ever do write something like this, uh, I should keep these rules in mind because I, I thought it was a very uh, telling way of kind of what happens when you uh, bring these people in and also, like, you know, how you can attempt to navigate the feelings involved in that. Yeah. Ben, do you mean to tell me that people don't mind your personal life for how it inspired your fiction? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my personal life i don't think so you've read my fiction like if, it, if, if, <laughs> if my personal life was involved in my fiction like it, it'd be like bad news bears like you, you everyone would be really really concerned <laughs> like you know <laughs> it's like oh, everyone he's ever known is dead i think like <laughs> 
or like mm-hmm. melted into a flesh pit. In a, yeah, in a and can house. still think and scream. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah touche, touche. The nature yeah. of your fiction does not lead one to uh, inquire about your personal life so much. Yeah, but you, on the other hand, do write in a much a different style. Yes, I do. Yeah, no, I had this one short story published. It was narrated by a houseplant. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I found this. I found this like. Uh, there's this new like robot that'll like you put your houseplant on it and it'll sense when the houseplant wants to be in the sun or not and it'll walk <laughs> your houseplant into the sun or into the shade. Um, yeah. It's like at an art museum. It's like not commercially available. I don't know mm-hmm. if it actually works, but I found that really interesting. And so yeah. I, I wrote a short story narrated by a houseplant. Um, and it was the houseplant was narrating as its couple, its owners broke up. Mm-hmm. Everyone fucking was like asking me about my like how how my life if if I was about to go through a break you know um, really yeah yeah no I just huh. like my personal life is constantly being mined in any anything huh. that has to do with fiction yeah I, I mean that makes sense yeah like absolutely but but I'm just kind of surprised by that just because I feel like I don't know when I read fiction I'm assuming that it's it's fictional unless I'm told otherwise crazy what? talk Ben crazy yeah. talk. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't there ten more of yous? Um, <laughs> well, I, I do think that this transfers to to fiction writing as well. But if you're up for it, how I would like to structure this is let's you and I go over each of the six parables, Love summarize, it. and give some reactions and thoughts. Yeah. Also, just want to say off the bat, great way to structure her craft essay through experience uh, as a hook for bringing the reader in. Makes it entertaining and informative. Really great work. Yeah. Yes, agreed. Melissa Fibos, if you're out there, we really like you. Come on the pod. Yeah, come on the pod. Um, <laughs> come on the pod, Melissa Fibos. Um, so she opens by starting with a um, famous Billie Holiday, like Billie Holiday wrote something allegedly about one of her exes, and mm-hmm. then the ex allegedly was very disgruntled and wanted to sue about that. So like, mm-hmm. position that as historical um, context. Uh, first first of the six parables about from Melissa Phoebus, the nonfiction writer about writing about other people mm-hmm. um, was her experience with who she called the foreign correspondent. Mm-hmm. Um, can we just take a second to celebrate like Melissa Phoebus is a writer. <laughs> She's so <laughs> good. So I, I'm just, I just want to like read part of this because I, I think this is just mm-hmm. gorgeous writing. Please. Soon after I'd begun writing my first book, I briefly dated a man whom my roommates, my two closest friends, and I referred to as the foreign correspondent, also known as TFC. This was primarily because he was a journalist who'd spent the preceding year reporting from abroad, but also because we were a trio of very recently reformed addicts and alcoholics, smart young women with filthy senses of humor who had spectacularly failed to fulfill the potential of their precocious childhoods. The foreign correspondent, on the other hand, was hyper-intelligent, ambitious, and TV-handsome. He was squeaky clean in a way that we'd all been repelled by until we got sober about six months previous, and still find kind of suspicious. Can we just talk about how the hell Hmm. this... How she introduces this character. My word. Mm -hmm. Ah. Mm -hmm. How delicious. Because it's... Just as as a total detour, like introducing not only the character but like a a a previous version of yourself Mm -hmm. um like your cultural norm you know like your best friends how you how the three of you where you are in life and how you view things like Mm -hmm. this is such a good way to introduce someone Mm -hmm. anywho that is a detour the first parable is about this example of um 
someone who she mentioned in her book sent him a copy of it realize he out of curiosity like he just expressed interest she sent him a copy after he should after she said hits and she remembered oh shit i have a section about him mm-hmm. <laughs> totally mm-hmm. forgotten emailed him again with the section deleted um and then obviously that tipped him off and he found the section immediately and it was an embarrassing section um it was about like an unsuccessful sexual experience mm-hmm. um and she realized uh, after she took that section out, that the story overall was stronger without that section. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like a, a deta- the detail felt cruel, she says. Mm-hmm. And it, the prose would be better off without it. Cruelty mar- rarely makes for good writing. Mm-hmm. Um, thoughts, Ben? Uh, I, I agree with her concept here uh, completely, especially in a scenario like this. I think it's important to consider what we mean by cruelty. I, mm. I, as a reader, I think that there is a lot in characters being cruel to one another. Um, mm. Personally, I, I think that in... And I speak of this in a fictionalized context, of course. And yeah. uh, and also even in a non-fictional context, the reality of cruelty um, is something that needs to be explored in art just like anything else. But the distinction she's making here is actively writing in a manner that is cruel. Um, mm-hmm. writing in a manner that is kind of has that vindictive like streak in it. And I, I think that she makes a really good point that that's net, that's only gratifying to the emotion of the writer in that moment. It, it's not anything that like matters to anyone else per se. Yeah. Yeah. And if you as the writer go too hard on it, you can really turn your reader off. Like you can mm-hmm. lose your reader's credibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about how this first parable cruelly, cruelty rarely makes for good writing. She says, Mm-hmm. Does that translate to fiction? Mm-hmm. So I think we are obviously both agreed you shouldn't be mean to people. Like if yes. you know someone in real life and that detail is not <laughs> crucial to the actual story, do you need to include the thing that would embarrass them that mm-hmm. you know would be cruel to them? Um, mm-hmm. Obviously great in real life, you and I are both pleasant, polite people. Mm-hmm. How does this, what do you think about that advice about not being, not including cruel details about your fictional characters? Um, well, once again, it, it really depends on what kind of thing you're writing and what kind of emotional state you're trying to get your reader to and what you're trying to convey in the, in the scene itself. Um, I, I'm try- it, it's not coming off the top of my head, but I know that there are definitely writers who would consider to be cruel to their characters, or, mm. uh, for sure. Like, I don't know. If you think of something like... Even, you know, the little bits and, and bobs I've read of, like, George R. R. Martin kind of thing. I think he's someone who could be considered to be, like, he enjoys a certain level of sadism towards the characters that he writes, right? Like... I, yes. Mm. I've listened to all of the audiobooks so far. Like, okay, so you know George R. R. Martin yeah. dropped the last book, Where Are You? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think you're not wrong, like, really he really puts his characters through hell mm-hmm. but throughout like we're still invested because he loves those characters so thoroughly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like the, mm-hmm. he puts them through really difficult circumstances but it's mm-hmm. comes from a point of like pushing someone he loves through a, a, a difficult circumstance rather than like fuck Tyrion, <laughs> Get Tyrion. make Tyrion uglier <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> um yeah that that's a really good point yeah um and, and i just because i also wonder like you know i think this advice 
holds 100% to fiction, but I also don't... I, I wonder if it's as necessary in fiction, because any writer that's approaching... And I'm thinking in terms of character now. Mm-hmm. And anyone that's approaching their characters, if you don't have a certain level of love, or at least understanding for all of your characters, even the ones that are quote-unquote evil, like, they're already going to be uninteresting to read about. Um really? And I, so to be cruel to them, to just like actively have a dislike for this person you're making up just seems kind of like, well, then you should just write about a different person, right? <laughs> like, uh, you're not locked in the room with this person. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're, and they're never going to do anything interesting in your eyes. So they'll yeah. never do anything interesting on the page. Like, right. Uh, yeah. The, I think like at the core of a good fictional character is... Mm-hmm profound sympathy for them mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. being able to get to, to to create this character so in, in a serious complex manner that makes them like have internal thought and you can understand why they do the actions that they do yeah. um yeah yeah i think sympathy is like so crucial to actually interesting fictional characters so like if you're being cruel to your fictional character you you're probably making them unrealistic too Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and less Mm -hmm. as well as less interesting yeah yeah absolutely agreed if Mm. you make someone who deserves cruelty then that person will be one-dimensional because no three-dimensional person deserves cruelty like yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. okay so parable number two mom goggles (laughs) (laughs) i just love this i I love this entire sequence in here Yeah. yeah yeah so this is about she like sends a copy of her first book a draft of it to her entire family and when she sent it she tried to warn her family like i know you all know that i was a professional dominatrix and that i am recovering from an addiction Mm -hmm. i just want you to know that some of these details may be disturbing surprising or distressing Mm -hmm. um please read the whole book before you call me and her mom calls her and says no, I'm not going to read the whole book cringing. Tell me what the thing is. <laughs> and um, I th- my takeaway from this section was like, what she thought that her mom would be uncomfortable with wasn't mm-hmm. accurate. Like she guessed mm-hmm. wrong about what, what details would be important to her mom. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, it was a really important detail to her mom. In, in the earlier draft of the book, she was like, I moved out when I was 16. And the mom was like, it's, you moved out when you were one month shy of 17. You were basically 17. And that was like mm-hmm. a really important detail to her. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just thought it was a really interesting example of like not being able to guess what is hurtful or what is important to everyone all the time. Even people yeah. who you know really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that kind of comes up throughout the rest of the piece too. Like that that's definitely a um, important your inability to understand reaction what the reaction is exactly going to be is Mm -hmm. always going to come up in these scenarios yeah so yeah i i turn the question to you then is like how how do we take this and turn this into a kind of uh, something for fiction or or other forms of writing well i think it's a really good example of like what we as people think that other people's internal lives are Mm mm-hmm we're often mm-hmm. wrong, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. We're just often wrong about what, what matters to other people, what's on their mind, why they make, like, 
why they make the decisions they make. And mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting when you're wrong about that kind of thing and, and have like a coming together where, where you sort that out. Um, yeah. I think that's just a poignant moment. Um, yeah. Poignant example of how humans behave. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think what Melissa Vivos like made the section kind of focus on was like how people respond to your writing. Like her mm-hmm. mom responded with like a lot tons of generosity and praise and like a couple of things that were like bugging her mm-hmm. um and then other people responded at the last paragraph she mentions other people respond by like denial rage self-pity withdrawal acceptance and it ends by saying like that's what you should expect the act of writing a book is likely to change only one person you mm-hmm. um so i think this section translating to fiction like one it's just interesting when we're humans don't misunderstand each other i just always think that's interesting but also like you explaining why someone else sucks won't fix them in fact it'll probably make them matter at you (laughs) (laughs) people don't like to have their flaws pointed out absolutely yeah yeah and i i think like you know there's no justice in writing a memoir you know like if you write a Mm -hmm. memoir about some someone having wronged you egregiously like they're probably not gonna unwrong you you know (laughs) they're probably gonna become in continue to be the bad version of themselves that they are exactly. um yeah i don't know ben what do, you, what do you think how do we translate this to fiction um i i think something in here um is it's less of a it's less of a direct one-to-one than the last one was i think um that, that we can take this as a lesson for other forms because this is very much because this is about like managing expectations and, and mm. understanding what Kind of, this is kind of one of those things that exists outside of writing, I think, in the Phoebos piece, um, and is just kind of like you as a nonfiction writer will have to deal with this sort of like, you know, reaction between people and, and the way that your writing will rub up against other people if you are being brutally honest um, in the mm-hmm. writing that you create. Um, and, and I think that more what we see in if we were to take lessons from this for fiction, I think it is more of a craft lesson on what you were suggesting of understanding the ways in which people understand each other and the kind of the dips in understanding that you have when attempting to know another person's mind. Um, And uh, maybe trying to take that aspect and incorporate that into the fiction you create and remembering that about your characters to use to create scenario and incident within writing. Mm-hmm. Um, might be something to take here. I don't. I don't know if I can take the direct lesson she's giving and put it onto fiction, though. There you go. And I think it's probably a lesson more relevant, as you said, mm-hmm. to publishing and mm-hmm. reader responses than mm-hmm. than to, to craft. Well, as yeah. we are a pos- craft podcast, let's barrel through then to yeah. parable number three. A partial list of people I did not forewarn about their likeness appearing in my work. Um, gosh darn it, we love lists on this podcast. Yeah. Folks, if you are looking yeah. to make your craft better, could you make it a list? List, headers, bullet points. This is, this is uh, the stuff. For me. Yeah. This is it. <laughs> this is the spot. <laughs> mm-hmm. We love a list on this podcast. <laughs> Truly, like, this is just so much more interesting in list format than it would have yeah. would have been if she hadn't, like, realized, oh, this could be a list. Um mm-hmm. Anywho, so she lists, you know, a number of people who she just, like, didn't consult, didn't send a draft to before the book was published. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
I want to focus on the if, if we're translating this to fiction, I think the the lesson that we can translate best to fiction is she chose to not sh- sh- like have well, it just didn't occur to her to have her dominatrix former colleagues like read the manuscript before it went yeah. to print, and yeah. she indicated that she regrets that um, mm-hmm. in part because like you know this, her her first memoir Whip Smart. Um, you know, there was backlash by some in the dominatrix and BDSM community, um, mm-hmm. which, as she says, to some extent is unavoidable. Most people who write accounts of marginalized experience that don't otherwise get much representation find some degree of vilification in those very communities. Mm-hmm. That's just the case. Like, yeah. if you're writing about... If you're the only example of a marginalized, you know, yeah. topic, like, then you're going to have way too much pressure put onto your one example. Like you can't be everything to everybody. Um, You you can only give one representation of, Mm -hmm. of the thing at a time. So it's like some of that is unavoidable, but I I do think like she says that there were some criticisms that if she had thought them through beforehand, she would have written the book differently. Mm -hmm. Um, She says, she actually says that she now like cringes when reading from this book. Um, I think that this is very translatable to, to mm-hmm. fiction, especially um, the novelist Rebecca Mackay has mm-hmm. a an essay where she talks about her first book, which was about a librarian. It's mm-hmm. a librarian who kidnaps a child in order to try to protect him. Um, and she said that she was expecting the backlash to that book to be very different than what it was. <laughs> a lot of the backlash to Rebecca Mackay's first book was librarians being like, you need XYZ degree and XYZ years of experience. There's no freaking way this 20-whatever-year-old has a full library <laughs> Deeply unrealistic, um, profoundly un- yeah. in- inaccurate representation of the MLS degree. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I think especially, like, consulting a professional community and and making Mm -hmm. sure that you're really uh, accurate to it is so necessary in fiction when, you know, our, like, endless ability to sympathize with with new characters and to make up new characters can only take us so far. At some point, Mm -hmm. we do need to make sure we're getting the actual content correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah especially based in reality like it it is uh, things like that and and i think this is a discussion that like the literary world's been having a little more loudly in in terms of like representation of marginalized experience and i know like the every time that we went to awp there were always a few panels specifically addressing you know like trying to address essentially like scared writers that are like i i'm not black but i want there to be a black person in my book but i don't want that to be a problem i don't want to misrepresent anybody and and like and there's always people addressing that kind of need for that it's just like yes because you should be able to put people's experiences that are not your own into your fictionalized work but in order to do so you have to under attempt to understand that experience like yeah do the research yep. like yeah write about anything you want but do the research mm-hmm. um yeah yeah and that you know that's for things as you know just is it accurate how she got this um this librarian degree like as as yeah like politically neutral is that too yeah you know being writing a, a character who, from a, a different background from you yeah, just a um, cultural experience yeah exactly yeah. like yeah it, because do the research get... and mm-hmm. don't rely on just one perspective mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Melissa Phoebos was a dominatrix herself. Her mm-hmm. account of her experience, she doesn't position it as every dominatrix has this experience. Yeah. She just positions yeah. it as this is what I, you know, this is what I did. This is what yeah. it was like for me. Um, yeah. My impression is that other people were doing this. Mm-hmm. She, like, the book, I, I just finished it. Like, it does an accurate job of just saying this is my experience and this mm-hmm. is my impression. This is my understanding of what, the, what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting a, a, a differing opinion... She at least says she wishes she she had done more of that and and yeah. and could have revised accordingly. Yeah, yeah, and, and that just makes sense. Like, like, and that just speaks to the more people that you have look at something, the the better off it's going to be during the process. The the more you divorce yourself from the act of writing as a lonely act, and is said as instead of something that is always collaborative, even if you are the main contributor to it like that that is always going to be useful to have other perspectives of all kinds on on whatever you're creating yeah 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 which isn't to say you have to please everybody but just Mm -hmm. like if you are you can't yeah you're never going to like be at peace with that someone is going to be pissed off um if if you're and and, you know good good writing is often about think topics that piss people off like that's Mm -hmm. good that is okay Mm -hmm. um but if 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 the reason i suggest like getting differing opinions when you're writing about a topic that you're not an expert in it's like at least be aware Mm -hmm. if you're gonna be writing something contentious Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. editor caught for you today right like (laughs) be aware she was like do this if you want to do this but be aware yeah (laughs) this will be a flag for some people this reaction yeah exactly and it's like that is what's amazing about it like that is why that is incredibly useful exactly yeah 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 Mm -hmm. Okay, parable number four. Letting the writer win. This, Ben, I think is mm-hmm. is very, very relevant to fiction. Mm-hmm. So this is about she used once forever ago her philosophy about writing. You know, in her daily life, like you and I, Ben, she's a polite, good person. You know, she's a good employee, mm-hmm. a good teacher, a good friend, a good daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's also a writer. And she says mm-hmm. when those roles came into conflict with writing... I, my advice was let the writer win. I am a writer mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later she doesn't actually detail what happened, but like there was an experience. Uh, she, you know, contentious. She had an experience with someone who like it, she realized she was unfair <laughs> about mm-hmm. her representation of, of them. Um, and she was now like, wait, I can't just, like, let the writer win. Like, that's very self-indulgent. Most people aren't writers. Like, I have a yeah. higher responsibility as a writer. Yeah. Like, if, if if a writer writes about a topic, like, they're, if, if, they, if they are published, you know, if mm-hmm. um, their account of it will be much more famous than anyone else involves account of it, and that will be yeah. the lasting record of it. That is how yeah. history works. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, she no longer does the let the writer in she does not have free reign to write my story of events that happened to someone uh, how she positioned it was Mm -hmm. i don't own other people's stories Mm -hmm. if it happened to someone else more directly than it happened to me um i need to talk to that person before i even begin writing Mm -hmm. otherwise you know it's that person's thing it's not my place to out somebody or to like take over their story your thoughts, Ben. Yeah. Um, it, 
once again, like, I think this ties in really well with the previous point. I, I think to the uh, notion of, like, doing good research is also what this falls under because, like, while it will not be as direct as she describes of, like, I misrepresented this actual, real, living, living, breathing person, you are much more likely to inaccurately represent an entire group of people through, you know, the metonymic character that stands in for them yeah. in a work of fiction. And it's that same thing of that you owe whoever you're writing about, especially if they are based in reality, you owe them their own reality. Like, it's there without you. So you have to, like, try to bridge that gap through the thing that you create and attempt to bring the reality that they have into the thing that you're making rather than standing in and making up a reality that may not be accurate. Yeah. So I think it gets sticky translating mm-hmm. this to fiction mm-hmm. because i don't know about you ben but i mm-hmm. as a fiction writer don't always recall where my inspiration comes from yeah yeah and i there have been probably yeah. even more cases than i can't am conscious of yeah where i have not intentionally not even knowingly all the time mm-hmm. stolen someone else's experience mm-hmm. and made it fictionalized mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and that's probably very uncool but it's just how my subconscious works (laughs) you know like i i don't remember every detail about like i i genuinely sometimes think i am inventing this like when i am recreating yeah or or or, you know fusing together like some things that happen to two different people or something like that i genuinely think that i am creating this from scratch (laughs) like and i and i don't realize that i am stealing this idea did i ever tell you about um a character, the, the character I named Steve Norris. No. Okay, in undergrad, I was in this Steve workshop, Norris. and I created mm-hmm. this... I, w- I was doing this story, and there was this dad character who I named Steve Norris. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always... I named all, all my characters, but like I, I Google, like, most common baby names, select the year. Oh, nice. And then yeah, common smart. last names, 100 mm-hmm. most common last names. So all, most of my characters are, like, very common names. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> So that's how I, for the record, that is how I found this name, Steve Norris. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was in a workshop. I was getting workshop that night. I was sitting in the ca- in the uh, library on campus. Mm-hmm. And this guy from my class comes up and he was like, we were just chin t- chatting. And he, he mentions like, I'm excited, you know, for your story tonight. Mm-hmm. And the guy's name was Steve. And mm-hmm. he says, it's funny that you named him that. And I was like... <laughs> oh my god, I forgot your name was Steve. <laughs> In my head, like, I obviously told him, like, oh, yeah. you know, I played it off, but, like, I forgot that his name was Steve. Ben, he submitted the comics to me. His name was fucking Steve Norris. Oh, shit. I named a character first ah. and last name. Oh, no. After one of my workshop peers, who is now, by the way, a writer himself. He, I think he's finishing his MFA at Boulder um, this year. Steve Norris, if you're listening to this, shout out. Um, great guy. Yeah, I yeah. literally unconsciously named a character <laughs> first and last name after someone who I had been seeing every week for months. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, with something like that, though, while it may have been a little awkward, as long as it wasn't like a crazy thing that was ha- like, that's, you know, that's pretty reasonable. We, we got Steve Norris, the fictional character, and we got Steve Norris, the man. And, and uh, Steve Norris, the fictional character, as long as it's not like, you know, the story is intensely about 
how badly everyone wants to fuck Steve Norris or how <laughs> much of definitely a murderer Steve Norris is. Like, I think you're, you're, you're because it's, you know, there's, I can see why it's embarrassing, but I can also see like, that's not going to be the end of the world for you or him. Right. Yeah. I realized during workshop that I named. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I, I'm sure it was very easy to take notes and pay attention to the workshop after that revelation. <laughs> he was an alcoholic dad or a recovering alcoholic oh, okay. dad. Really nice, okay. alco- like real yeah. nice guy, but a little stoddard felt a little distracted. Um. Anyway, <laughs> mortifying. Um, but. I think the issue with this advice about like letter letting the writer win is like I'm not consciously letting the writer win out mm-hmm. on that name, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if if there are any fiction writers listening who have had a Steve Norris incident, um, like I have, uh, my heart is with you. Um, sometimes we don't remember where we get our inspiration yeah. from. It is not conscious necessary necessarily, and it is hard to explain to people. My bad, I forgot your first and last name. Or it's hard to explain to people, my bad, I forgot, you know, that traumatic incident that you told me about. Sorry, I forgot it was you who told me that. I thought I made it up. (laughs) That's awkward to explain and doesn't sound very believable. Yeah, yeah. Um, Real talk, though, if you're out there and you have had a Steve Norris incident and you feel comfortable sharing, please write in with the Steve Norris incident. (laughs) That that is an excellent call to action. I would love to hear about more of those. Mortified. Um, Mortified. I I can't believe I didn't notice, like, in the library, I wasn't like, oh, Steve's last name is also Norris. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, mortifying. Write in goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Parable number five. A big shitty party. So this is a really interesting section that y'all should read. Um, mm-hmm. It's about Melissa's written, wrote an essay in part about a bad ex and their bad breakup, mm-hmm. and uh, the mean ex. Melissa, like per the lawyers, per the public publishing house's advice, anonymized the ex very much. Um, but the ex like still went around to their mutual friends like one outing herself as the fictionalized character even though it was anonymized and she could have just like pretended it was somebody else um Mm -hmm. and like just criticizing it and uh making it very unpleasant and um this section is in part about like you know there is a different version of that breakup story that is also true that focuses on different details um Mm -hmm. everyone has anyone who is present will narrate a story differently Mm-hmm. Um, and but Melissa chose to not engage with the ex when the ex was like, you know, issuing the the various <laughs> uh, yeah. ninety five theses. Yeah. Um, which I think is probably wise. Um, ben, what are have have you been in a position where like you published something and gotten criticism for it? Do you engage with? With the, or even, you know, criticism in workshops about something mm-hmm. fictional that you're writing. Like, do, how much do you engage with it? Well, it depends on the nature of the criticism, right? Like, in workshops, uh, I can say, like, I, I tend to be... I try to be open to criticism. I, I, you know, I, of course, have my stopping points, and I, of course, have my, you know, points where I am stubborn, and, and things that, like, you know, if, if some... I can remember specifically 
uh, in workshop, there was an older man in some of our um, things, um, in some of our workshops. He was someone who was basically like a person that got rich and then retired and is now doing an MFA because they have lots of free time. And he was a very good writer, and, and I, I respected the work he created a lot. Um, but, like, I wrote a lot of stuff that was very anti-capitalist when I was in, you know, in the MFA, and still do, and he took umbrage with that, and any criticism that was, like, directly, like, critical of an ideology that I held, like, personally to my core, I would be dismissive of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think the thing to remain open to is understanding that your perspective is not the only perspective that's going to happen in the world and understanding that you're like, like you say, like the piece says that there are two different true versions and if not infinite different true versions of every story that is told in our, in our lives. Um, And trying to be open to those other forms of truth in receiving feedback and criticism is I think intensely important, but I also think that there are points where you're just not going to be able to get over that hump because it, like, disagrees with core values that you hold. Like, Mm -hmm. even if you see it as, like, another perspective, it's one you won't ever hold yourself. Like... Well, I mean, that's a matter of being able to filter for what feedback is useful to your art, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, if fundamentally your piece is anti-capitalist and someone fundamentally disagrees with that ideology and, and their notes are about pro-capitalism not going to be relevant notes other than yeah. you know potentially you know it's useful i i do think it's useful to like know how someone who disagrees with you will disagree with you so that you can you know yeah just be informed about what mm-hmm. negative feedback might be mm-hmm. um i do always think that's useful but that doesn't mean i'm gonna action upon that negative feedback yeah but but you have you ever received like a- actual criticism of a piece like in some way like that has that ever happened to you mm not to its core i did something my very first semester in the mfa i Mm -hmm. gave feedback in a way that i you know now regret and don't think was useful um Mm -hmm. one of our classmates wrote something i felt like was cliche and offensive uh, Mm -hmm. um and i didn't couch the feedback the best um Mm -hmm. you know i just wrote the letter like these are just like laid it out <laughs> um yeah but then like i did about... learn throughout the mfa yeah. about how to do that in a productive way because mm-hmm. that that, mm-hmm. that first time i did that he and i just never got along again like okay. full stop like he and i just never yeah. got along again um yeah. and he his feedback to me was always really aggressively looking for faults i think he was uh, i think he took it really personally and was like always yeah. trying to like get me back um yeah. and i regret how i gave him that feedback i stand by like the Mm -hmm. core of like that Mm -hmm. was offensive (laughs) um but like i him was pleased with myself i grew the final year the third year of the mfa i read something that like wasn't offensive to me but like Mm -hmm. i was like this is gonna piss me off this is gonna offend people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and how i phrased that feedback was like totally different so what i did the next time that i read something i was like hey i just want you to know there's a broader conversation about, you know, white tourists making third world countries about them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here's, you know, a, a thing that I've read about it recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want you to know that, that this may f- rub some people the wrong way. 
based on this larger conversation that's happening. Yeah. Do with this information what you will. I was more thoughtful, more more thorough there, but like yeah. framed it in terms of like, hey, not personal. You know, like mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. here is a fault here is a big conversation I've heard about. Basically about how what you're trying to do here is offensive. Mm-hmm. Be aware of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um here's something you can read about it if you want to. I just want to let you know, like, I think that due to this other big conversation that's happening, some people may interpret your work as that offensive way. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So, like, uh, I think I have been the villain in the how to give feedback wrong. (laughs) Um, And there's just no coming back from it at some point when you make a mistake like that. Um, So I have definitely been, you know, the uh, giving feedback in an unproductive way before. Um, I regret it. Uh, I was right, but I regret it. I regot how I did it. (laughs) Could I ask about that piece? Was Was it the person who had a tendency to write about Native Americans a fair amount? Is, LOL. I stayed the fuck out of that. I was like, I don't know. He's like one sixteenth, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I stayed I out know. of that. Like, I, I, I didn't. Okay, so it wasn't him then. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> no. No. Oh man. Oh, was it? Was it the story that involved a lot of nautical flags? That could be it. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. D- just side note: that guy hated feedback. In general. In general, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. I wasn't the only issue at play, yeah. but I could have like, handled just it better. Just to let you know, yeah. Like, if it was that, then that was not... Don't take it personal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I believe one of our other classmates also wrote in a response to that story that this is the worst story I've ever read in my entire life. So people were very, if it's the one I'm thinking of, people were very mean to him about that one. We're going to take this offline because I am very curious about it. (laughs) Continue this afterwards if it's the one I think it is. Um, yeah. Um, parable number six, um, which she's titled Creative Nonfiction. It's about how Melissa Vibos' final tip for you know, how to write about other real people is she just, her wife has, is the only person who has full veto power. So Mm -hmm. she lets Mm -hmm. her wife read the earliest Mm -hmm. drafts and her wife like is given permission to like, say like to, to nix the whole idea if need be. Mm -hmm. Um, but what her wife does instead is just like tease her, you know, (laughs) like I said that to you on a completely different afternoon, creative nonfiction. (laughs) Um, yeah. And it's, Really just an appreciation for how her wife, like, um, she understands that a difference in individual truths is not always a conflict. So mm-hmm. it's okay that we remember these events differently. It's okay that what you what you took away from it is what I, different from what I would have taken away from it or how I would have st- told it. And yeah. it takes a really impressive big person to do that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like, especially, you know, given the earlier parable Melissa Phoebos had about like how writers have a lot more power than the lay person about how history history is is remembered um it takes a really big impressive person to just be like okay whatever if you want to say if you want to pretend like that both those conversations were the same afternoon like I'll tease you about it but yeah it's literally (laughs) fine um I just find that impressive yeah yeah absolutely like on both of their parts and also I think 
labeling it as creative nonfiction for that section does make sense because that is to a certain extent necessary in creative nonfiction. I feel like there are many authors who talk about like, you know, you'll read like there'll be a dialogue between ostensibly the character that is myself and the character that is my mother but it will be a conglomeration of six different conversations we had across the course of the year. I'm just presenting yeah. it as one conversation. Like, yeah. 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 Um, those small creative liberties make for better stories. <laughs> they happen yeah, all the exactly. time. Yeah. Um, I think probably the general reading public isn't aware to the degree to which nonfiction has creative liberties taken in it these yeah. days. Um, yeah. Probably the general reading. I mean, my God, a lot of... Um, most major publishers don't even pay for fact checking anymore, even on like the big really? political bestsellers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there was like yeah. a lot of controversies related mm-hmm. to like the major publishing houses not paying for independent fact checkers on various Trump presidency related political books. Um, independent fact checkers worth any investment. I will just take a pause. Um, yeah, but I think like core to fiction and so much core to like revising fiction is figuring out which creative liberties like will make your story more efficient um so i celebrate it in the fiction space that's my takeaway of how how to translate that one to fiction ben any thoughts yeah exactly that's all fiction is is the creative liberties you don't have to worry about those nearly as much there (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) they're expected (laughs) they're a given in our spaces um I do also, though, I think one, one other thing from this number six mm-hmm. is just, like, having your most trusted early reader, like, who will mm-hmm. tease you about the things that aren't great. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I just love mm-hmm. that dynamic. I find it very encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Like, they, they, they seem to have a good life. And, and I, have a lot of, I have a lot of respect for her as an author, knowing that these are things that she's considering while she's putting together nonfiction stuff. Like, that it's, uh, I don't know, going in that route exclusively is there's a lot more responsibility on you as a writer than there is as a fiction writer. And not to say that a fiction writer does not have responsibility, but the, when you are dealing directly with real people and their real names, there, there is a lot writing on that. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's uh, not about just legal advice, but like ethically, what Mm -hmm. does it mean to be a writer and to write about other real people? Um, What does it mean Mm -hmm. in your personal life that you are writing about real life people in your personal life? Mm -hmm. Um, and I do think that more fiction writers would benefit from, like, examining, as I failed to do with the Steve Norris incident, like, how taking inspiration from people around you's lives will impact them when they read your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think too many of us, like, hide under the fiction umbrella and don't think enough about how much we owe the people around us for inspiring our work. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Because it does, it does start in the real a lot of the time, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah cool well that's what i got ben any concluding thoughts uh not particularly thank you this was a really fun read really interesting sight into a realm of writing that i'm not usually doing um and to the many considerations that should be going into that as as someone is doing it um yeah just a great essay overall i, I will definitely link to it in the show description so you you can all read it as well and enjoy it as we have yeah Woo-hoo. Yeah, and if anyone is looking to learn about what it's like to be a dominatrix, Whip Smart was really good. Um, <laughs> really good. You go, Melissa Phoebos. If you want to come on the podcast, if you're hearing this, you, you give us an email because we are honored honored to... Please. T- t- yeah, for real. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, cool. Uh, beetly beetly bing. Ben, to conclude this episode, as we always do, uh, is our recommendation hour. So yes. what is something that this that you recommend from this week that has brought you joy? Um, I haven't done a lot of new stuff lately, but the thing that I... Um, you can hear me talk about this on an upcoming episode of Three Locos we haven't uh, recorded yet as well, but uh, The Righteous Gemstones. The entirety, mm. it's Danny McBride's show on HBO, so if you have HBO Max, you can watch it there. Uh, dealing with a uh, family that is essentially kind of like a parody of the Falwells, the evangelical Christians, mm-hmm. um, the uh, the very rich evangelical Christians, and it's his kind of parody of that world of the high-powered TV evangelists. Um, and it's it's Danny McBride, so it's it's very funny. He he plays essentially the Jerry Falwell Jr. stand-in. Um, really great cast. Um, you know him. Uh, God, John Goodman plays uh, Jerry Falwell Sr. Essentially, um, Adam Driver. Uh, the, he's the one from Workaholics, right? I, I know his first name's Adam, but I don't. Uh, Driver's not the right last name. Adam is Driver's um, in Star Wars and yeah, the wrong story. one. Uh, wrong yeah. Adam. Wrong Adam. <laughs> Uh, Adam Devine, that's who I'm thinking of. Mm, uh, he mm. plays the youngest. Uh, there, there's a lot lot of really funny stuff in there. Very good, lighthearted show to watch um, that, that I think does a good job of kind of parodying uh, that world and all of the power um, lo- uh, kind of localized in it. Yeah. Word, word. Um, speaking of evangelists on HBO, uh, my recommendation, therefore, will be uh, The Way Down. It's a limited series, mm-hmm. docu-series, um, about The Way Down. It's like this pseudo-semi-Christian, Christian-like cult mm-hmm. um, focused on weight loss. Mm-hmm. And I have said, whoa, and oh my god, out loud a lot while watching mm-hmm. this one. So if you're looking for a docu-series, limited docu-series, The Way Down on HBO. All right. Sounds excellent. Thank you, Emily. With you. Cool. Well, happy podcast recording day, Ben. Happy podcast recording day, Emily. And a merry podcast listening day to all of you. (laughs) 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 I can't believe we're allowed to do this. Yeah, dude, it's fucked up. (laughs) We're so dumb. (laughs) So stupid. Um, If you want to tell us how stupid we are, we're on Twitter at GoodWritingPod. And if you want to send us a long, a longer email, especially, please do tell us if I am not the only one who has accidentally named a character first and last name after someone in yeah. my real life. <sighs> yeah, or, or any, any story that you would like to tell about writing and real life crossing over in a way that maybe made you uncomfortable or made you laugh like that. that yeah. If, yeah. If anyone else does this where they don't remember where they got their real life inspiration yeah. from, and then are un- unfortunately reminded where they got their real life and for it. And, and, and yeah, let us know. Goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>